0: So this marks uh, week seven of our, of our nine-week series that has us looking at the, at the fruit of the Spirit. And if you are just joining us, uh, the fruit of the Spirit uh, are, are the nine character qualities uh, that all Christians are to possess and display. And we read of these qualities in the New Testament book of Galatians in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Uh, You you don't have to turn there, um, but you can. We will be turning elsewhere a little bit later, but here are the fruits of, or the fruit, I should say, of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you've been here uh, for the the prior weeks, you'll recall that these are called the fruit of the Spirit— not the fruits of the Spirit, because all of them grow together, not individually. They grow together by the power of God the Holy Spirit inside of followers of Christ that we would look more and more like him. And so this means that if we profess to be followers of Jesus, but we have little to no evidence of his fruitful qualities in our lives, well then we have a pretty good reason to question our Christianity. Not to drop a, a sobriety bomb on the room, but, but we do. Uh, when I say that though, we need to keep something straight, and, and then hopefully we've kept this straight through the series so far. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to bearing fruit like Christ, looking like Christ, we are not saved because we bear fruit. You need to hear this. We are not saved because we bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. We bear fruit because we are saved. The New Testament book of Galatians was written to remind first century Christians living in Galatia and written to remind you and I that we are not saved. Saved. We're not forgiven of sin and granted eternal life because of anything we do. We are saved because of what Jesus has done through offering himself on a cross as the substitutionary payment for our sins. And then after raising to life and ascending back to his heavenly throne, Jesus then sent to us God the Holy Spirit, that he would live inside of us, that he would help us to think and speak and act like Jesus in all of Jesus's fruitful qualities. And one of those qualities that we're gonna be looking at this morning is faithfulness. And so here's a a question just to kind of get the wheels turning. What comes to your mind when you think of faithfulness? You think of commitment, To a a spouse, to, to children, to a family member? Do you think of loyal service to God and country? Maybe when you think of faithfulness, you think of steadfastness through hardship. What emotions bubble up to the surface when you think of faithfulness? Are you comforted by the word faithfulness? Or does it conjure up sadness because of maybe unfaithfulness that you've experienced as a conjure of anger, maybe guilt and shame. Uh, Synonyms of the word faithful are equally loaded. When we look at synonyms of the word faithful, we see loyal, trustworthy, dependable, reliable, honest, steadfast, committed. One commentator writes that the word faithfulness denotes that which is firm and can be counted upon he continues a faithful person is one who can be depended upon in all his or her relationships one who is honest and ethical in all his or her conduct and so if we were to summarize and to make as simple as possible that definition of faithfulness if you're a note taker here's how we might simply most simply define faithfulness being known by others and duly committed to others. Faithfulness is being deeply known by others and duly committed to others. Now both aspects, both being deeply known and duly committed contribute to the concept of faithfulness and and I'll I'll illustrate this with two separate illustrations. Um, Back in my hometown of Newark, Ohio, I had the same barber for a number of years. He was an off-the-charts extrovert. He kind of stressed me out a little bit, Uh, but he was one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. And because he was really open, he was really honest, he was really transparent, he was deeply known by many of his friends and clients, including myself. But he was not duly committed. If he woke up and the sun was not shining perfectly through his mini blinds into his bedroom, if he woke up and his hair was not lying in the perfect position, the dude would just not show up at the barbershop. I mean, it happened to me like seven different times. One night was homecoming And I didn't get a haircut. That's one of the reasons why I started cutting my uh, my own hair. (laughs) Don't have to rely on somebody like that. His absolute unreliability was a major issue. When it comes to being faithful, when it comes to walking in faithfulness, We can be honest and transparent and deeply known all we want. But without loyalty and dependability and commitment, there can be no faithfulness. And without faithfulness, there can be no lasting relationship, no healthy relationship. And so now on the other side of the spectrum, here's another illustration. Uh, During our college years, my, my wife, Lindsay, and I were a part of a large church just outside of Lexington, Kentucky, it was, a, it was a very large church full of loyal, committed congregants. I mean, the preaching was, was solid. The band was phenomenal. People didn't want to miss, when this church had a gathering, people showed up every single week without fail. The only problem was that in all of the four years that we were there, we never really got to know anyone. And speaking for myself, no one ever really got to know me because in all of my interactions with the other people in the church, whether it was during Sunday gathering or community group or Bible study, I personally would barely allow my conversations and my interactions with others to dip beneath the surface of superficiality. I would barely, barely let anyone into the real stuff of my life. I was super committed to showing up, but I was anything but deeply known. And without openness and honesty and transparency and vulnerability, there can be no faithfulness. And without faithfulness, there can be no lasting, healthy relationship. Now. This is scary to some of us on a couple of different fronts. On one front, we all want healthy, lasting relationship. In fact, we were created for it. We were created by a relational God, Father, Spirit, Son, to be in relationship with Him and to be in relationship with one another. Relationship is in our DNA. We all want to be in lasting, healthy relationships. But all of us, to one percentage or another, are afraid of being, being, being deeply known and or afraid of being duly committed and yet it's God's desire for his people, for his church that we would be both that we would operate in the faithfulness that he models to us, the faithfulness that we we're designed for, and so for the remainder of our time, this is gonna be pretty short today, I wanna look at two things. I wanna look at our model. Number one, God himself is deeply known and duly committed. He walks in faithfulness. And number two, God invites us, he invites each and every one of us this morning to be deeply known and to be duly committed. And so we're just gonna look at those two points for the remainder of our time, we'll keep it simple. Let's look at number one. God, God himself is deeply known and duly committed. In 1 Corinthians two eleven, we learn that God the Father is so deeply known by God the Holy Spirit that the Spirit knows the Father's very thoughts. We see in John, chapter five, verse 19, that Jesus knows the Father so deeply that everything Jesus says and does is in full accord with the Father's will. In Philippians 2, 11, we read that the Father is so intimately acquainted with Jesus that when we confess Jesus' lordship in prayer and in worship, the Father tastes the glory of it. And so no one can ever accuse the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of being relationally superficial. Not only is he deeply known within himself in his very triune nature, but he desires, it's the reason he created us, to be deeply known by us. He desires us to deeply know him. According to Romans chapter 1, God's written his name in the stars that we might know him. He's revealed his power to us in the roar of the oceans. He's shown his beauty in the colors of autumn. He's displayed to us his holiness in the bright and blazing sun. All that we might know him. And what's more is that he came to earth. In the incarnation, God the Son Jesus took on a body that we might see God's face he lived a sinless life he died to save sinners on a cross that we might see God's heart all that we might know him and then he gave us his inspired word the bibles that we carry that we cherish, that we read, that we immerse ourselves into. He gave us the Bible to communicate his story, his character, his perfections, his plans for us that we might know him and not that we would merely know about him, church, in in the sense that I knew a lot about my barber, not in that way, but that we might know him to a degree that trust bursts forth in our hearts for him, that we rely and depend upon him because after all, he is a God who is committed to his people. Not only is God deeply known within himself, not only does God desire that we deeply know him through creation and the incarnation and through his word, but he is deeply committed within himself and deeply committed to his people. He has both aspects of the very essence of faithfulness. Virtually every single page of the Bible is a treatise on the theme of God's faithfulness, revealing to us time and time again just how proven God's track record is when it comes to his commitment to his people. See, despite humanity's rebellion in the days of Adam and Eve, despite humanity's wickedness in the days of Noah, despite humanity's arrogance at the Tower of Babel, despite humanity's idolatry among the tribe of Israel and the, and the Gentile nations, despite yours and my disobedience and un. Faithfulness to Him, He has graciously continued to make Himself known to us, and has graciously continued to commit Himself to us in the fulfillment of all of His redemptive promises—to forgive us of sin, First John one nine; to deliver us from temptation, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. He's committed to sustain us through times of suffering and trial, 1 Peter 4.19. He has committed in great faithfulness to sanctify us, to carry us to our final salvation, to usher us in into eternal life, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Corinthians 1, Hebrews 10. I know it's a lot of Bible that I'm throwing at you. I'd be happy to give you the notes at the end of this if you miss some of those. The Apostle Paul reasons with the Christians in Rome in chapter eight, look, God is so committed to fulfilling all of these promises to us. He is so committed to to doing this redemptive work and completing it in his people. He has already sacrificed his very own son. How much more then will he give us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Greater love, greater mercy, greater faithfulness knows none than this. And maybe just as a a, a brief illustration, a brief uh, rabbit trail for a second, God more than committing himself to our redemption, more than just the get out of hell free card. You know, how many of you were with us when we started at Cornerstone Elementary School and we were, under, we were under the pressure of trying to find a new place to meet because our contract was about to end with, you know, you don't have to all raise your hand. Many of us were there. Do you recall, church, coming together as, as a body of believers in Cornerstone Elementary? We had weeks left before we had to leave. Do you recall? Crying out to the Lord together, provide us a place. Be faithful to what you are calling us to do. Provide us the next step. Open a place for us. Do you remember just how perfectly, timely, miraculously he answered that with providing this schoolhouse? In ways more than we could have possibly imagined. He is so committed in his faithfulness to his people, to provide us with all that is needed to carry us along in the journey of our salvation. What a great and faithful God that we serve. Deeply known, duly committed. Number two, God invites us into the same thing. And this is where we'll get a little bit more practical. God invites us to be deeply known. He invites us, you and I, to be duly committed. And I first want to consider how this plays out within our human relationships. There are literally thousands of ways we could talk about what it looks like in our relationships to walk in faithfulness. We could talk about how the age of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter has created this false reality that you and I are deeply known by and duly committed to others. I mean, the personas that we advertise on social media are anything but real. And if Jesus, during his earthly ministry, only had three very close friends if Jesus only had three very close friends? How on earth can we expect ourselves to sustain 300 of them on Facebook? The pressure to like the photos and to write the right comment that gets a lot of response. Maybe you don't feel that pressure. Hallelujah if you don't. We could talk about how Western culture, more than any other culture in the history of the world, Western culture, Americans, we have adopted such a fast, transient, discontented view of vocation and location that many of us don't even know what it means to be committed to our jobs and our communities and our, wait for it, Local churches. No wonder so many of us feel alone and anxious and dissatisfied. At the rate we move and travel and change jobs and hop churches, we are not deeply known by anyone, nor are we duly committed to. Anyone but church, human flourishing is found at the intersection of both being deeply known and duly committed in faithfulness. And we could talk about how we're essentially training our kids to live in the very same ways. I can't tell you how many of my son's basketball teammates. Parents just let them walk off the team when they didn't feel like showing up to practice that day. I'm not a perfect parent in this way, by the way, but it was astounding to me. We tell our kids, oh, you don't like your first job. Don't worry about putting in two weeks. Just stop, just stop showing up. How many of us have actually heard that? Oh, You don't like hearing about discontentment and a lack of commitment in church? Neither do I. Let's find another one. Hopefully that thought isn't going on in many people's minds right now. (laughs) Now listen, just a quick caveat to you. Are there unique and appropriate situations and times to leave a local church? Absolutely, yes, there are. I would say bar none, if that church in which you are worshiping is not preaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, get the heck out of there. Because anything but that, is not, that's not the gospel. I don't care how loving they appear. And there are unique and appropriate times to leave a relationship. And you will not hear me preach on this very often, but if you are in an abusive situation, God would not have that for you. If you are being physically harmed, if you are being emotionally derided, spiritually abused, God would not have that for you. And if that is you, and if you are struggling with the discernment as to what to do in that situation, I get paid to be here to be at least be able to pray with you and to help you walk through that as best as possible. So what I'm not saying in faithfulness is that under any and every circumstance, we are to remain loyal to the very end. There are moments where it is for our own health and safety that we get out. But those are very far and few. Very far and few. So that commercial is kind of temporarily over. Sorry to get heavy there. For the remaining moments of of this morning, I'd like us to remember the context, the context in which the book of Galatians was written, the context for the fruit of the Spirit in which Paul wrote about faithfulness because it has everything to do with how you and I interpret and understand and embrace this idea of faithfulness. So remember with me, and we're gonna open our Bibles, I promise. (laughs) Remember with me, the Christians living in Galatia in the first century had placed an unhealthy, even unbiblical emphasis on religious rituals and works of the law they had become more concerned with appearing spiritual to one another and any time we become more concerned with appearing spiritual than with actually being spiritual by resting in the hope of the redemption that we have in Christ alone when we become more concerned about the appearances well then we become quickly afraid to be deeply, truly known. Because I don't want to be discovered as the absolute heretical sinner that I am. And I know that you don't either. How American of our churches that we have this Sunday morning face that we can put on and come in and act like nothing in the world has us down, like we're not struggling with any sin whatsoever. If you only knew the wreck I am, and I think if we only knew the wreck that we all are in this spirit of being deeply known and vulnerable, oh my goodness, I think that there would be so much mutual encouragement just right off the bat if we could all just simply say, look, I don't have any of this together, but he does. And he is my hope and my salvation. When we don't want to be discovered as the sinners we are, we not only become less and less honest and open and transparent about our own lives with other Christians, but we become less and less committed to other Christians out of fear that they will poke too deeply into our hearts or maybe out of fear that they will disappoint us. And this is precisely as we remember the context of the book of Galatians, this is precisely what was happening amongst the Christians in first century Galatia and it is precisely why Paul wrote to remind them that the fruit of the Spirit includes this little idea called faithfulness being deeply known by others and duly committed to others. I wonder, brothers in Christ, is there another brother in Christ in this fellowship, whether in your community group, or in another community group, in this fellowship, is there another brother who is in your life who knows you deeply? Deeply, deeply. Another brother with whom you have slowly developed the kind of trust. And it takes time, and we can talk about how to do that. But another brother with whom you have steadily developed trust, whom you can go to during breakfast throughout the week, you can call on the phone, you can see here during our fellowship, you can see on Wednesday night during community group, is there another brother in your life who you, in the spirit of James 5.16, can confess your sin to and say, brother... I am addicted to pornography. I can't stop looking at it. I love it. My heart loves it. I crave it. Help me. Pray for me. Walk with me. Is there another brother who knows that you have a problem with overeating or overdrinking or oversleeping, laziness, gluttony, whatever it is, in the spirit of James 5 16? are you deeply known by another brother in this fellowship to the degree that you can bring them your absolute garbage and have them listen to you and say, brother, that is not the joy that Jesus would have for you. You are selling yourself short by going back to the feeding trough of pornography every single day, reminding us of the gospel that in Christ our hearts only in him can we be satisfied and praying with us and finishing up breakfast and then going our separate ways and texting each other throughout the day how are you doing have you made a promise with God about your eyes today not to take a second glance not to entertain thoughts do you have men do you have anyone in your life with whom you have deep fellowship like that And by God's grace, I, I don't stand here as a complete hypocrite asking you, I, actually, I have men like that in my life. Praise God. Just look at the disaster of pastors who don't have that in their life. It's happening everywhere. Disasters of, 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 of men who are not deeply known by other men, deeply committed. Hebrews 10 the writer of Hebrews goes on, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Be deeply known with another individual, a brother who, can, who you trust, a sister who you trust. Be deeply known and then be zealously committed. Put it on the calendar Somebody ideally from your community group, another brother or a sister with whom you can meet throughout the week and call, this is what it means to walk in faithfulness. And for me, what that looked like, just to be super practical and on the ground, what that looked like was Meeting with an individual, I have a couple individuals, but meeting with an individual every single week and for the first six months, he and I did not talk. We didn't do a book study. We didn't talk about anything magnanimously spiritual. We just got to know one another because we had both been praying that the Lord would put something, someone in our lives with whom we could be deeply known like this that we can not hide our superficial Christianity and instead expose ourselves. The Lord answered that prayer and for this first six months, we just simply met and ate breakfast and got to know each other and by God's grace, a trust was kindled. Do you have that person in your life with whom now you can share all of the garbage, the gross stuff and not be judged Do you have that person with whom you are committed? Church, this is what the body of Christ is for. I'll, uh, I'm going longer than I thought I was going to. I'll I'll shorten this just a, a bit here. All of this, of course, culminating as believers, as Christians, that we would be deeply known by God and duly committed to him. I love Psalm 139 when it comes to this idea of being known by God. Would you turn, would you turn in your Bibles, actually, to, to Psalm 139? It's, it's, uh, it's toward the middle, the middle left of your Bible. If you have, uh, that's the way that I think of it, at least. Psalm 139. This is David. David and i would just encourage you as i read this brothers and sisters know that this is true about you david writes this o oh lord you have searched me and known me you know when i sit down and when i rise up you discern my thoughts from afar You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that is the land of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, well, even there... Your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, well, surely the darkness shall cover me and and, and the light about me by night. Well, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Look at this. For you formed my inward parts. Brothers and sisters, this is so true of you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. David goes on, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. This is crazy. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. I'll stop right there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Talk about being deeply known by God. Does it horrify anyone else that the Lord has searched and known us to the degree that he knows our thoughts, our very words before they're on our tongues? It horrifies me. Because I know the thoughts that I think. I know the words that I speak. And yet the most wonderful and absolute glorious good news of all is if we were to flip all the way back to the New Testament, to the book of 2 Timothy 2.13. Paul is writing uh, his young disciple, Timothy. And he is explaining to Timothy that we are not going to walk in utter perfection nor think nor speak utterly perfectly all the time. In fact, he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 2.13 that even when we are faithless, even when we are walking in blatant unfaithfulness in our conduct, God remains faithful to us. And the only reason Why God can remain faithful to an unfaithful people is that God the Son came and took upon himself all of our unfaithfulness, all of our disgusting thoughts, our outright addictions, our dishonesty, everything. He took it upon himself and then he died the death that you and I deserved on a cross in our place He didn't stay dead, he left our sins dead in the grave and he rose to life and now he calls us to come to him trusting that his work on the cross, his work in resurrecting is all that is needed to secure our salvation. It is not my perfect nor your perfect faithfulness from here on out that gets us into the kingdom of heaven. It is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ imputed upon us. When we believe and trust that he has done everything needed to save us. This is the greatest news of all because being known by God is absolutely horrifying. But then knowing this this good news that we read in 2 Timothy 2.13 is the best news that I think I have ever heard. That even when I'm faithless, he remains faithful. And how can I not now How can I not in response desire to commit my life to that, to him, to the God who has searched me and known me and still with, in the shadow of Jesus' cross, accepted me? God is both duly, excuse me, God is both deeply known and duly committed so committed that he put his own blood in the game. And what we are invited to as the body of Christ is that same thing. Brothers and sisters, would you consider, would you pray, would you ask the Lord who that person is in this fellowship that you can be deeply known by and that you can be duly committed to? This is what Paul was getting at when he talked About the fruit of faithfulness and walking in faithfulness. And this morning, we have the ability to celebrate God's faithfulness, His faithfulness demonstrated to us through Jesus. We have the opportunity to celebrate such faithfulness by the taking of communion together, by taking the bread and dipping it in the juice. The bread, of course, symbolizing his broken body on the cross. The juice, of course, symbolizing his spilled blood on behalf of sinners. We have an opportunity to reflect on the absolute, unrelenting faithfulness of God throughout the scriptures. Through Adam and Eve's rebellion, through the wickedness of the days of Noah, all the way up through our own disobedience. We have an opportunity to come and, and to take and to celebrate that which we have come to know to be true, Christ crucified and resurrected. And so I'm gonna pray to close our time out this morning and while I do, I would invite uh, our communion servers to, to come up and, and if they would so kindly divide the bread and, and prepare the elements while I pray and then when I say amen, we're gonna sing um, and, and at any time you feel led, uh, you're welcome to come to the table and to remember the body and the blood of Jesus poured out for sinners. I would ask this, if you are not a believer, if you do not profess to be walking with Christ, if you do not profess to be covered by his blood, a child born of the king, and, 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 and desiring and, and, and pursuing the fruit of the spirit, if that is not you, if you're not a Christian, I would ask that you not come to celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus. Instead, I would invite you to to believe Christ, to come to him by faith, to trust in his completed work. And then I would love to personally talk with you and to pray with you because this good news is for you. And so would you pray with me? Great is thy faithfulness, Every page of scripture screams the faithfulness of our God. We thank you, God, that you have given us your word, that we would deeply know you and know your due commitment to us. We praise you and thank you that you came, the incarnate Son of God, that we would know you by seeing your face, but we would know you by seeing your heart poured out on the cross to save us. We thank you that creation screams that we would know you. Lord, I pray that we would find it tremendously wonderful news that you know even our inward thoughts. You know the muck that we bring in here with us while we put on our Christian faces. And yet in Christ, because of his sacrifice, you continue to accept us to be pleased with us and to call us to walk in a similar faithfulness. Lord, I pray for men and women here today, Lord, that we would resolve to walk in the same deep knowledge of one another, that we would be deeply known, that we would be duly committed. For some of us, uh, that may look like uh, praying this afternoon, even seeking someone that we can walk with in this manner. I pray that we would do it because this is human flourishing when we walk in relationships in this way. This is what you've designed us for. So Lord, let us pursue it with great zeal because of Christ, because of the joy laid out before us in him. Let us pursue it today. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.